If you would, I want you to bear with me for a few moments. I probably can't preach that long this morning. But I am at least standing here because for the last couple of months I've been having to sit down a lot. So at least I can stand up here. may not be able to do it the whole time. But I want to tell you, I, I just want to tell you something personal. And I'll use Paul's comments when he asked the Corinthians to just to bear with him in a little foolishness. I want to... I want to make a point from this. It isn't just about me, and it certainly isn't to get sympathy. But uh, after my surgery a couple of weeks ago, uh, the next morning, I guess it was, they got me out of bed after working on bones and muscles and nerves and everything. Got me out of bed, and I stood up with that walker, and I stood straight up like this out of the, in the bed, out of the bed. I hadn't stood up like this in months. Couldn't stand up. Too much pain, too much, uh, everything was wrong because of the injury to my back. And uh, spinal cord, the spine had shifted forward and pinching everything off and I was having a lot of trouble. So I was very happy. Then they got me, we just walked up and down the hallway talking to the doctor. I have no idea what I said because like I say, I was on drugs, but we went back to bed and I was very happy about that. And I felt pretty good the rest of that day and, and even though I was in pain, and come out of the hospital later the next day and uh, went home. And I, th- I just thought I was just going to go straight on up, you know. For a couple of days, I felt real well, real good. And then it just wasn't working. I was back in pain. I was having all kind of other issues with my legs cr- uh, cramping and not being able to. My, my, my left leg, which is my good leg, naturally, it felt like a combination of lead and jello. It's an odd combination, but it felt like jello because I, I really fell in the kitchen with my walker because my knee just completely gave out. And I hadn't had a hold of that walker, I'd be in trouble. And then, then it's so much like lead that I couldn't even, when the therapist said, uh, sitting in a chair, lift your left foot up off the floor. Couldn't even lift my foot. Could not, it felt like I had a lead boot on. I could not lift it. And I just like, what is wrong? It's not supposed to be. It wasn't like this a couple days ago. And I got a little discouraged about that, and I couldn't hardly walk. And so uh, luckily, it was either later that it was either later that afternoon or the next day, I had an appointment with my surgeon, that normal appointment with the surgeon. Went back down there to West Palm Beach to his office, and he's looking at things. He starts talking to me, and I, I told him about this. I guess he could tell I was a little bit perplexed. Now, I've had plenty of surgeries before, and maybe it was like this before, but I just wasn't feeling good about it. And um, I explained all the symptoms. He looked at me, he said to me, he said, well, Mr. Schmidt, he said, everything is as expected. He said, the symptoms you're describing are classic for the surgery that you had. It's exactly the way you should be feeling at this point in time. Okay. And he said, now in two weeks, especially in four weeks, at, at six weeks in, he said, you're going to be feeling completely different than this. But he said, nothing you told me surprises me at all. Now, I have to tell you, that made me feel a lot better. I didn't like it, but it made me feel a lot better than I did before. And, and then I thought about it later on. So, you know, I've had, like you said, I've had other at least as major surgeries on my legs and stuff before as a young man. 
And it was probably the same way, only I just don't remember it that way. I expected, even at 70 years old, to get right off that operating table and get right back on the go again. And it just wasn't like that. And so I thought about that a little bit, those words he said, everything is as expected. And so I'm going to talk with you about that this morning, because I think we get there in life a lot of the times as both humans and then specifically as Christians when things happen like they do or are like they are in our life. We are expecting something totally different. Even living in this world we live in that we know is cursed by Satan in the sense that he's always interfering with what God has in mind, with what God wants. He's interfering both with the world itself and with us and our hearts. And, and we continually find ourselves in trouble. But yet we expect that things are always going to be different. We think it's going to be different. I'm going to go back just for a moment. Go back with me to right after Jesus' death. He's been in the tomb a couple of days. Here are these disciples, particularly early here in Luke 24. Here are these women, who, uh, the ones who didn't completely give up on him in their own way. They, they, they come on the first day of the week, it says, very early in the morning. They and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And I'm, I'm thinking, this is not at all what they expected, is it? They had brought the spices. They were expecting to find his body there. They were going to tuck the spices into the, into the wrapping and the clothes he had so he wouldn't uh, smell so bad and it would help, help things for a few days. And, and they, they couldn't do it because his body wasn't there. And as it happened, they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. They looked around, oh, and behold, in the Bible is a statement, stop and look. It means look, something surprising. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third day and rise again. And then they remembered his words. So they were expecting one thing. It wasn't like that at all. And he told them to remember what he already has told you. You've already been here. You know this. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. They just didn't believe it. These men just didn't believe it. And they did not believe them. And Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Well, what had happened was everything was as expected. They just didn't understand it or want to believe that it was like that. Now, I want to point out something that you already know, that I already know is that this world is not meant to be an easy place to live. Life is struggle. Life is not about joy. It's not about fulfillment. Life is not about being happy. Now, maybe this is just my warped perspective from my life. Life is about struggle. It's about fighting and struggling to 
get through what you're going through and get to some other place. That's what life generally is for most people. In the few moments in this struggle, we find some sense of joy occasionally. But the joy is interspersed in much more time spent in struggle. That's the way life is has been for most people ever since man has been on the earth. But we don't think it should be that way. Somehow we don't expect that, and yet that's exactly what it is. What the Bible says is this. Two or three things I want to share with you. The Bible says that Satan will strike your loved ones and you. That's what the Bible says. So expect this. And when he does strike you and your loved ones, everything is as expected. He says in John 16, Jesus says just before he's crucified to his apostles there. I know he's speaking to the apostles and some of these things won't all directly apply to us. But I think the truth of this applies to us. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. I want to tell you what's going to happen so you don't fall. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Now, what my surgeon was trying to tell me, and he did say this, is I already told you this before the surgery, that this was going to be this way. But I wasn't hearing that. I was only hearing after a month you'll feel better. After you know, I was hearing the part of it I wanted to hear. And he reminded me, he told me that. And I, you know what the thing is? I, have, I recorded that first conversation when we talked about having surgery. I turned on my phone, recorded it. I don't know if he knows that. It's probably illegal. But I recorded it. I laid it on the desk so he could see it. I was recording. So I went back and listened to this recording. And yes, he told me exactly what was going to happen. But I only heard the part I wanted to hear. That's how we work. Jesus says, you apostles, you people, you're going to suffer it's not going to be like you think, but when you do suffer, that's exactly as it's expected to be. And I want you to remember this. And these things uh, I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Jesus, and, and, and he says they're going to be scattered. A little bit later on, he says, you, you're not going to be together like you are now. Satan's going to strike you and your loved ones. So much so that you're going to be scattered. Now, I didn't put it in here, but you go to the, in the book of Acts and you see that the early church was at the persecution of Stephen that, that killed him and, and the church just scattered. When I was a kid, maybe this is what's wrong with me. I, I sit back in my room with my brother. Had, all four of us had one little room. and I, We had a desk back there and I used to sit there a lot with my encyclopedias like a nerd and my record player. And I sometimes would get a hold of some mercury. I loved mercury. Break it open on the desk, play with the mercury, punch it and it would all scatter and then I'd gather all a little piece of mercury back up. You know, this is a safe thing for children to do, apparently. <laughs> but uh, I guess back in 1965 or whatever that was, we didn't really know that. But I used to try to find thermometers so I could break them and get the mercury out and play with the mercury. And this is what I always picture there in the book of Acts. They're all gathered in one little place, one nice little cute bubble of disciples. And Satan comes in and kills Stephen. Bang! And the mercury scatters everywhere. He told them this. He told them this. Do, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and now has come, that you will be scattered, each one to his own, and will you will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. He's speaking here specifically of the fact that when he was cru- going to be crucified very shortly, they were all going to scatter. They didn't believe it then, but he's telling them it's going to happen. And I'm going to tell you something, because I, 
I believe we're at a juncture in time, not at the end of the world, but we're at a juncture in time when there's going to be some great earth-shattering things happening in our society. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, but signs point to that within a few years. Things will not remain as they have. How do you know this? Because you look down through history and there are other periods of time just like this and things have never remained the same. They've always been shattered. And some of you, because of the way the world is now, some of you may be scattered because of your faith in Christ. You may not be able to live where you live now. You may not be able to associate with the people you associate with now. You may not have the job you have now. You'll be scattered. Churches may disintegrate because some churches cannot withstand the persecution and the trial that's about to come. They aren't going to be able to stand up to it and they're going to, they're going to just go away, scatter. He says it's coming. Expect it. You can expect tribulation. These things I have spoken to you in John 16 again, same chapter, that in me you will have peace. I've spoken to you that if you come to me and be in me, you'll have peace, which means harmony, oneness, wholeness, not freedom from conflict. We use the word peace today to mean free from conflict. In the Bible, the word peace means whole. It means not broken in pieces. If you stay with me, you can all be one and I can be one with you and you personally will be whole. Outside of that, you won't. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Tribulation. When you say tribulation today, people, because of the influence of millennialism, think of the tribulation, which the Bible never speaks of. At some point in time, at the end of the world, the time called the tribulation is coming, and that's going to be bad for people. The Bible uses this word tribulation all the way through, and ordinary Christians experience this in their lives repeatedly oftentimes much less the church as a whole. What it means, the word originally, most words have an origin in something concrete and real in life, material. And so the word affliction, uh, tribulation, and it's often translated affliction in the Bible, is comes from the symbol of pressing a grape. When they would make a wine or juice, they would press the grapes and they would squeeze all the juice out. And so the picture of tribulation was, as you slowly turn that crank, the grape begin to be pushed and pushed and pushed, and the skin gets tight and tight and tight. Cracks begin to appear, and finally the grape bursts open. That's the word for tribulation, that pressure. Now, we might call it stress. I don't believe in stress. My wife and I have been having this ongoing discussion for a year or two now about that. But uh, as we define stress, I don't believe it's at all what the Bible would speak of. But I do believe in tribulation because it's affliction, it's anguish. This is anguish is not <clears throat> affliction can be something from the outside, like a disease. Like Gary and Carla going through the affliction of him him slowly dying of cancer. That's an affliction. Something on the outside is pressing on you. That's a kind of tribulation. But then there's anguish. This is internal tribulation or pressing that presses on the soul, on the heart, on the faith, on your character. To be burdened, persecution, tribulation, and trouble. These are some of the synonyms from the dictionary, Greek dictionary about this word. He says, in this world you will have tribulation. When you experience these things, and many of you are probably experiencing them, experiencing them right now. Sorry, experiencing them right now. It, everything is as expected. 
This is what he says you're going to have in this world. So you need to be in this world, but stay in Christ. And not what he says, in me you have peace. So stay in me and have peace, but you're going to experience tribulation as long as you're in this world. The other thing that's going to happen to you is your dreams and your plans are going to be frustrated. We're so commonly told by the Disneys of this world for a generation or two, everything is about following your dreams and following your heart. The Bible doesn't speak of anything like that, and yet that's the common mantra that we teach our children that they should be doing, following our dreams and following our heart. It doesn't say that. What the Bible says about your experience is that your dreams and plans that you make, that's all well and good, but they're generally going to be frustrated by the way this world is and by your own, your own weakness and failures. I may have told you the story. I don't want to take too long to tell it, but uh, some years ago I was preaching in another city north of here, and... In the sermon that I was going to preach there for a week, and in the first sermon that morning, somehow I mentioned that I had been born with cerebral palsy and had, uh, uh, you know, wheelchairs and all this stuff when I was a kid, operations and this kind of stuff. And they said, oh, so after church, these ladies came and said, oh, you've got to meet this young man who's been coming to church. He's 17 years old. He has cerebral palsy. We want you to meet him and talk to him because he gets very discouraged. I said, okay. So they had lunch a couple of days later, and I came, and he was there. And I sat next to him. He had His cerebral palsy was much worse than mine had ever been. There's no question about that. He was kind of hunched. He could barely feed himself. Uh, he couldn't always hold his head up straight. He walked often with a, with a walker. Sometimes he could walk a couple steps without one, very haltingly, and so forth. And so we talked. And I can tell you, and I told him plainly, I said, Chris, I said, I would... I, I would not want in any way, shape, or form to be you at 17 years old. I said, I was me at 17 years old, and I know what that was like, and I would not want to be you because your condition is worse than mine. And he could see that. And he's looking at me, and I said, well, now I have overcome a lot of those things. Things can get better. They can get better. How much better? Well, watch me walk, and you'll see. I do everything clumsily. But that's a lot better than it was when I was a kid, thank, thanks to the Lord. But on the other hand, so we talked a little bit, and I, and I asked him what he wanted to do. He said, well, I want to be a jet fighter pilot in the Air Force. All around the table is looking at me. You know, the preacher's supposed to have all the answers, right? Well, okay, well, I have an answer, but they're not going to like it, Stuart. I can tell you they didn't like it. I said, well, Chris, let me tell you something. I don't think that's going to happen. In order to fly jet, jet airplanes, from what I know, you have to have 20-20 uncorrected vision, all kind of hand-eye coordination that 90% of the population doesn't even come close to possessing, and that's never going to be you. I don't care how much you dream it or want it, that's never going to be you. This is what I told this young man. I said, can you still serve your country, or work on airplanes, do great things? Absolutely, you can. But it won't be flying jets. So figure out now at 17 how to direct your life into something that you can do, that you can even have to reach for to get to, but you can do, and then you can fulfill something that is meaningful to you. But if you stay with the idea I'm going to be a jet fighter pilot, it's going to lead to lifetime misery. 
Now, the other people at that table were not happy with me because I did not affirm that young man's belief that he should be a jet fighter pilot when he can barely walk and feed himself. Was I wrong about that, Gary? What do you think? You know something about that. It can never happen. And I'm so thankful that my mother told me at a young age, Mike, I don't know what she thought I'd said, but she said, Mike, listen, you're never going to make a living with your body. It, you better develop your brain because you're not going to make a living with your body. It will never happen. So find something to do with your brain that you can do to be useful. That was good advice. But she didn't tell me what Disney tells you and your kids. Follow your dreams. Follow your heart. Your dreams will be frustrated by life. And even when you get started on something, it's not going to work out the way you want. A man's heart devises plan, plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. There's a lot of things in the way of the way you plan things out to be. You don't have control over those things. So expect that. Adjust to that as you go along. Adjust what you can do. And you can still be useful and good and serve the Lord and be happy when you do that. There are many plans in a man's heart, he says in Proverbs 19. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. So God has decreed some things. Some things are like they are because the world's the way it is. And you're going to have to live within that when you make your plans. This is godly advice. Yes, sir. God, what God planned for you was better than what you planned. Yes, I think that's right for most. And if you find that, if you keep seeking and find what you can do to serve the Lord or be useful, you'll find that very thing. This is what that, pro- I'm going to get, I don't want to speak too long, but I'm getting off track here. This is what that proverb means in Proverbs twenty-two fourteen. 14. Uh, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We use that phrase, train up a child in the way he should go, to mean... If you train a child to follow the Lord and be a good Christian, then he'll never stop loving the Lord. And that isn't what it means, because plenty of people train up their children to follow the Lord, and they don't, because you don't have complete control over your child. And so they get discouraged and think they were a bad parent because their child won't follow the Lord. Well, now, you can be a bad parent, make no mistake about it, and maybe you did make mistakes, but that's not what that verse means. What that verse, what the Jews understood that verse to mean was, Train up a child literally in his own way, in the thing that he can do or what they are like, what the child is like, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. He'll have something that will last him throughout his whole life. If you take a child that is good with his hands and train him to use his hands to make a living or to live, he'll be happy in that and useful all of his life. You take a child that wants to be a carpenter and try to make him a violinist, it won't work out very well. He'll be unhappy and he won't be useful. So... Anyway, that's a side point. So we even see this. Even the, even the life of Paul. I don't want to spend long on this, but in Acts 19, Paul was out preaching on his, in his journeys. And it says in Acts 19, 21, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit that when he had, he, even, he prayed about this, I think it means, and he passed through Macedonia and Achaia in Greece. He pur- purposed to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul says, I'm going to go through Greece and Achaia. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. Then I'm going to go see Rome. Well, here's the problem with that verse. Paul did go to Rome, but he didn't go in any way like he expected. 
He went to Rome in chains. Okay? Not as a free man to preach the gospel. He went to Rome in chains. Do you think that's the way he planned it? Well, of course it wasn't the way he planned it. And that's why in Romans 15 it says this, for this reason, he's, he, he's trying to get to see these Romans, for this reason I've also been much hindered from coming to you. Here his plans are to come and he keeps getting hindered by life, by the Lord, by things that go on, by his own self. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I will come to you. Now we have no record at all of Paul ever going to Spain. What was his plan? I'm going to go to Spain, then I'm going to go back to Rome. No, Paul got put on a ship in, in, in Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea Maritima, and got sent to Rome as a prisoner. Almost killed on the way. And he spent the rest of his life, for the most part, in chains. There's his plans. How to work out. This is as expected. This is what you can expect from life. Don't let it completely destroy you or dis- discourage you. Don't let it knock you off the path and so that you never come back. You can get knocked off your feet occasionally, but you can get back up and get back on the right path the way you're supposed to go. Because it's as expected. Just keep struggling with that. So Satan, and then you can expect to struggle both in your heart and in your flesh. That's what you can expect from life. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Now we're in the middle of the story here. Can't tell the whole story of Job. But Job, uh, uh, God sees, well, get me straight, get me get it straight here. Satan uh, comes before the Lord there and his sons of God are there. And, and uh, God says, where have you been doing, Satan? He said, well, I've been looking up and down the earth. I've been watching men. I've been watching people. He said, well, have you seen my servant Job? An upright man, a good man. How he fears the Lord. And Satan says, does God, Job fear God for nothing? Now what this tells me is, yes, I've noticed this good man. Satan isn't looking out for bad people. He's already got the bad people. He knows where they are. He's looking out for good people. He wants to see where you are. I've seen this good man, but you've made a hedge around You think he's serving God because he's such a good man? He's serving you because you made a hedge around him and his whole household around all that he has on every side. You bless the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Now that's what we think is normal. That's what we think should happen all the time to us. All of our possessions, our children, our plans, everything gets blessed on every hand. And sometimes it works out like that. I saw a story yesterday, the other day of a, it was about a man and a woman, but... Uh, they worked hard, started a grocery store chain, Save a Lot up in Indiana, and they bought a million million dollar mansion. This is back in the early nineties, a million dollar mansion out in the country, moved out there on all this acreage and beautiful, just a beautiful place. And they were just living a happy life. Well, in a few years, what she found out was her husband was a was had been killing gay men in Indianapolis for years and burying them in the yard. <laughs> Third, they think maybe up to fifty young men he killed before they caught him and he committed suicide. And she's living this happy life out in the country. Yeah, God blessed him on every hand. Mm-hmm. That's how that works out sometimes. Sometimes there's bodies in the yard. And so Satan says, he's only serving you because you blessed him. And there are a lot of Christians in churches in the United States right now 
who are only serving God because they got air conditioning and hot water this morning to get up and they got deodorant and they can get fine clothes and a nice car to drive in. They come to a fancy building and, and they get entertained with a light show and they go home, stop at, you know, no, Golden Corral's beneath these people. But they stop serving for, you know, they're serving God because it's all beautiful like that. But when trouble strikes, nope, they're not there. So Satan says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. I'm predicting that this good man you say is so strong, when you take all that he has, and when you touch him with this, he'll curse you to your face. And you know what? He's right about a lot of people right there. That's why they call Satan the accuser, because he's right. He makes an accusation against men, and he's correct about it. And then later, Job didn't fall for that, though. Job held on. He took his children his possessions, even his wife turned against him. But he still holds fast his integrity in verse 3 of chapter 2. Although you incited me against him, God says, to destroy him without cause. God says, you, I let you destroy him without a good, any good reason at all. That's a scary verse, folks, that God would let Satan destroy you without a, without a cause. And he did. He did here. And he said, you did this to him, and he still holds fast. What do you think about that, Satan? And Satan says, okay. Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. God says, okay, you can have his skin, but don't kill him. It wouldn't, it wouldn't prove anything if you kill him. There's no reason for doing this if you're just going to kill him. And so Satan does. He's, he creates boils on Job's body from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. A woman I baptized, what do you think, 45 years ago, Judy? As a girl who was raised as an atheist. She was a young young mother. Baptized her down in Hollywood. She called me yesterday. Uh, she's living over in... Uh, what did you say? Arcadia, yes, I couldn't think of it, Arcadia. Her husband, who I baptized a little bit later, uh, he's dying of dementia, struggling with that. She's had so much trouble in her life. I can't even begin to tell you all the trouble this woman has had in her life. And of all the people I baptized, I think, you know, I could go baptize Donald Trump today and it still wouldn't be as much as baptizing her because he will never be able to serve God, like that woman has, that's what I think about it, because of the faith she's shown as an ordinary poor woman all these years. She told me, I called you more or less because Roger's really is a lot of pain. He can't get out of his wheelchair. And now he's developed boils that are just really hurting him. And I had just read this passage. And I said, uh, you know, Debbie, I said, that's what Satan, when he had a choice, of all the things he could have done to Job, the, one, the first thing he did was strike him with boils. So you can tell Roger, if he can understand you, that he's in good company okay, to suffer through this pain because she said he's really in pain. Skin for skin, what did Job do? Job did not curse God and die like his wife said. Job held faithful to God. This is what you can expect. So here's the thing you want to remember. This wasn't just about having illnesses and surgeries to overcome. This was a test on Job's heart. This was about, is he going to serve me? It isn't just about his body. It's about 
what's going on inside of him. That's what God's focusing on. So you don't have to be driven out of a out of a city because you're a Christian per se or going to church to be persecuted by Satan. You're you're afflicted by Satan when you suffer these physical illnesses and and difficulties in life that will test your faith. And if you hold true to God in spite of those sufferings of heart and body, then you've done something worthwhile just like Job did. So you need to remember that. You're being tested all the time by these things. And if it didn't if it didn't work to strike people in their bodies, Satan wouldn't have done it. He knows it works on some people. What about you? So the conclusion of the matter in it then is, if I can I have a lot more to say, but we won't do that, is here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul tells of a a man he knows, who which is him who had, because of the greatness of the revelation that he had received, Paul says, this man was taken up into paradise, into the third heaven, and heard words are not lawful to speak. He heard heavenly things that he couldn't even repeat because they are so holy. This man heard these things. Paul is saying, that's me. Because of this, God sent a messenger to him through Satan to buffet his body. Satan sent this messenger to to hurt to to lift to hurt Paul. And God used the messenger of the thorn in the flesh to humble Paul. Because he says, I will not speak of this man, and I don't want you to think of, of this man more than what's written. And so what God said to him when he Paul appealed to God three times. I think over a period of time, to remove this thorn from him so he could do the work he needed to do. And each time, God said no. And the answer God gave him as to the question of why, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. See, God's strength is not made perfect when we're strong. His strength is not glorified or made perfect when we have it all together and we have all the answers. In that case, it's only man and our flesh that gets lifted up. But God has always chosen the weak. Therefore, Paul says, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities or weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul realized that in his suffering, God was being glorified. That even though Satan had struck him, put him in chains, bound him up in Rome, he had been able there in a common, ordinary way by speaking to the guards there in the way that a Christian should talk boldly and clearly. He had converted some in Caesar's household. He wanted to get to Caesar's household, you know. Maybe made big plans to get to Caesar's household, but he would never get there the way he wanted to. He got to Caesar's household by being weak and in chains. This is the way God does things. All through the Bible. Therefore, Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, thank you for listening today. Everything is as expected. Please don't be discouraged. I want you to go away today, if you can, with a stronger confidence and faith in God that you can do the things He wants you to do, that your life is not without purpose, even though it may be humble. And that the suffering that you experience in body and soul is not without purpose if you remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Now we're going to sing this song now, number 356.
Jesus is tenderly calling. And that's a time for you to come if you need, to, if you need the church to pray for you for a sin or for something, some other weakness or sickness you'd like us to pray with you. Come to the front. We'll, we'll pray with you today. If you've done wrong, God can forgive. If you need to make correction to others, then we can help you to do that. If this morning you need to become a Christian, to give your life to Christ, to be baptized for the remission of your sins, everything is ready. We have the water, the clothes, everything is ready, if you are, to submit your life to Christ, be buried with Him and raised up to a new life. Can we help you? Come to the front right now. Let's stand and sing.